one of the challenges that I see when you start talking about sex is the belief system behind sex or the expectations behind sex. And this is one phenomenon that you'll tend to find when couples are dating, they will tend to have sex more often. Like it's 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 often. And when they get married, life begins to happen. The mortgage, the kids, and all these things begin to happen and you'll notice that there is a decrease. And one of the phenomena that causes that decrease to happen is because the couple stopped growing together. When you are a couple and you are dating, you experimental, you're always having sex, you're talking about it, you're engaging in it, you're going out for dates, you are hanging out with friends. There is a certain level of growth that keeps things exciting getting to know them and the real them starts coming out. You know how it is when you start dating or get into a relationship, everybody puts their best foot forward. Thanks for tuning in to this bonus episode. After 20 episodes, I've heard you guys and I wanted to give back. And so I decided to reach out to a relationship coach expert by the name of Kingsley Moyo. He's been in the business for 10 years and definitely knows what he's talking about. We're going to be talking about some deep subjects from communications, sex, and long-term relationships and how to keep them. Especially if you're an empath or highly sensitive person, you definitely want to check this episode out. Thanks again for all the love and support. I hope you guys enjoy this bonus episode. Listening to the On Call Empath Show. Tranquility Base here. The Eagle has landed. Welcome to another episode of the On Call Empath. Uh, you guys, I have a great guest today. Um, I know I've been getting a lot of feedback from all you guys, um, the HSPs, the empaths. Um, you have asked me to cover something on relationships. I know that, uh, my listeners, um, you know, they have, uh, problems with relationships and, uh, HSPs are normally affected by their environment and energies. So I thought, you know, Hey, why don't we get an expert here? Uh, Kingsley Moyo, he's a, uh, author of the R Factor and uh, he's a ref, uh, re- relationship specialist and a marriage uh, educator. Um, he's also a coach as well. He's been doing it for about 10 years, helping individuals and couples. Uh, Kingsley, how are you doing today? Hey, Raj, I'm doing all right. How are you doing today? Not too bad. Not too bad. I'm, I'm glad that you were able to uh, come on my podcast and I think you can clear up a lot of things out there with the uh, relationship, especially for (laughs) us empaths and highly sensitive people. (laughs) Um, So let's just dive right in. Um, If you could just kind of tell us a little bit about you and what you do. Yeah, Raj, thank you so much, man, for having me. It's it's an honor and a a pleasure to be here. Uh, Pretty much I've been doing relationship coaching, uh, marriage education for upwards to 10 years now. It's been an interesting and beautiful journey. So I'm a relationship coach, marriage educator. I'm an author. I'm a trained trained professional counselor. So that's really my expertise and is working with couples uh, or individuals looking to get into relationships, um, getting uh, 
two individuals to get to that aha moment and whereby the things take on a different meaning. Uh, you know, we want to move relationships from problem to solution. Better yet, we want to move them from functional to exceptional relationships. So that's a little bit about me. Well, thanks for sharing that. I mean, the reason I wanted to bring you on here for the first place is, you know, I've been getting a lot of feedback from my uh, listeners. And, you know, especially with empaths and highly sensitive people, we tend to uh, be a little bit uh, more uh, overwhelmed by our stimulus uh, environments. So, and empaths are more, I mean, more in tune with their emotions and to be honest, like with the whole thing with with the uh, pandemic and being introvert, it could be really challenging for uh, the average person as it is. But, you know, us empaths and highly sensitive people, it's even that much harder. So, I mean, that kind of gears me towards, you know, what do you normally see when you see clients? I mean, what are some of the common relationship issues uh, that you frequently see with your clients and why do you think that is? I see quite a range of things when I when I work with different kind of clients and some of the things that you see is intimacy problems, um, the difference in men and, and, and in male and female libidos, uh, money problems, finances, infidelity. Uh, and there's something that is quite common uh, in some relationships drift where couples just just drift. And you hear somebody say, I don't love you anymore, uh, communication problems. And sometimes couples constantly fight about the same things over and over. And one fascinating one that I find uh, interesting when you listen to the stories and the journey for the couples is the role of family members in their relationships. How much do we let them in? How do we help them out? When do we help them out? So it's quite a range of issues that you find. And some of them is when you're dealing with couples that have uh, mental health issues or something like that, the, all of these issues get compounded uh, as you go along. So I see quite a range, quite a range. That's good to know. I mean, as you know, this, this whole podcast, we, I mean, it's mostly tr- for trauma and, you know, highly sensitive people. Um, so with that said, if somebody has gone through trauma, let's say, and they come to you, you know, they have a, a abusive spouse, boyfriend, girlfriend, um, and then they find somebody who else is also abusive, or maybe they've both been in an abusive relationship. How do you deal with that? That's that's a that's an interesting one because more often when I deal with couples that are like that, both couples or at least one couple does not know that they are going through some rough things. In fact, when you really think about it, HSPs uh, experience the world differently than anyone else. Um, they, they, they are attuneness to life and to doing relationship is quite different than anyone else. Doesn't necessarily mean that they are weird or anything like that. It's just that they, they are wired differently. So first, I would point out a couple of things that we need to get real about. Um, if two individuals come from an abusive relationship, there needs to be an awareness. Number one, they need to understand what their triggers are. Because once you come from abusive relationships, you tend to have a heightened sense of reactions to common relationship issues. Something that's minor in any other relationship, in that relationship, it becomes magnified. You get emotionally fewer disagreements. 
the couple is not necessarily arguing with each other. They're just arguing with each other about something that happened in their past. And you tend to get couples that would withdraw from each other. They tend to get distant, unresponsive behavior. And this is symptomatic of individuals that are trying to protect themselves because of what they've been through in the past. And one of the ones that really becomes detrimental to the relationship is that they have difficulty accepting love, uh, despite the repeated assurance that I love you, I love you. Trust is, is something that's difficult to comprehend or to experience. So you got to understand the triggers. And the second, I, I'm just number not necessarily that they're in, 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 in hierarchy or anything like that. So the triggers, understand your triggers. What really triggers you? Um, understand that. Secondly, you want to pay attention to codependency behaviors because codependency is an unhealthy relationship pattern where you it manifests when one partner is enabling the other partner's poor habits or traumatic habits or mental health habits. And one partner tends to start to derive their sense of self-worth from the other individual. So they feel like they need them. They want them to be there. And because both individuals are functioning from a trauma standpoint, they don't know how to handle being loved or giving love or receiving love. So that in itself causes a whole lot of mess in the relationship because they can't, they can't figure things out on their own without that awareness and understanding of themselves. Yeah, and, and that seems to be a common problem. A lot of the uh, audience that, that reach out to me, you know, they've gone through some sort of trauma growing up or codependency issues. Um, and then once they get into a relationship, the first couple months is like, you know, the honeymoon period. Everything works out perfectly. And then all of a sudden the, the floor drops from underneath them and then they're basically miserable. So very well said. Um, in your... In your expertise, um, I mean, I'm sure, sure you've seen so many people and you help with a lot of people. Um, what is one common thing that you see uh, across the board as far as why relationships actually fail? One common thing, you know, sometimes when you read uh, different articles and you talk to different experts, um, even right now we have numbers in, in terms of the divorce rates and all that stuff. You'll hear people citing that infidelity is the number one cause of relationship failure or finances is the number one cause of relationship failure. But I think that's just a symptom. If you're really deep, deep in, you'll realize that relationships fail because of expectations. Because you're coming from a different relationship or from a different past. You have certain expectations about money. You have certain expectations about love. You have certain expectations about intimacy. You have certain expectations. There's a whole lot of expectations that you come with into the relationship. And guess what, Raj? You come into a relationship with somebody who thinks differently about money. You know, there's different money personalities. Some people want to spend money. Some people want to save. So you get into a relationship and somebody says, let's save. Like, no, 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 <laughs> I want to spend it. <laughs> you get into a relationship. Yeah, so, so you're in a relationship and uh, somebody has different expectations on intimacy. Um, some people uh, want to do certain things and the other person is like, no, no, I don't want to do that. So expectations, when I really boil it down, when I help my couples trying to work things through, 
I really try and understand what do they expect? What do they expect from this relationship? Once we understand what they expect and you and they sit down together and they begin to say, ah, so that's why you wanted me to do that. Oh, that's why you wanted us to go there. But they were not understanding each other because they were functioning from two different sets of expectations and they were not communicating them well. And I know like you, you do understand, you know, empaths very well. Um, and this is just a, a question that I, I, you know, curious about for myself. Can two empaths actually um, be able to have a relationship? Because you know, I've done some research and I looked at, you know, different, different articles and things. And some say, you know, it depends on the couple. Uh, sometimes it works, sometimes it does. But if we're both trying to people please and, and we want to help the other person, uh, and how does that work out if, if both parties are trying to help each other? Uh, how does that work? Here's my philosophy. And when I work with any couple, doesn't matter which couple, which, which culture, which gender, which, uh, which, uh, which age, which race, here's my philosophy in any couple. When I work with them is that any relationship can work as long as two people are willing to make it work. And when you really think about it, being an empath is not only a weakness. It can be a strength. And so sometimes when you're an empath, you tend to read all these articles and you're hearing all these people. And some of the phrases that I use is uh, people please, like you had mentioned. Um, and you tend to think, okay, there's something wrong with me. Everything is wrong with me. Therefore, I have nothing to give. But sometimes it can be a powerful asset having to care for the other individuals. So can it work? I believe it can work. When two people, first of all, have that awareness, this is how I am, this is how I respond, then you begin to build from there. And one of the crucial things for empath is to have a clear, proper plan on self-care. And when I'm, when I'm talking about self-care, Raj, I'm not talking about the self-care whereby you go and buy a donut full of sugar and then you or you spend five hours playing video games saying it's self-care. I'm talking about healthy self-care, where it's going to the gym, uh, if it's going to for a walk, nature walk, um, something that gives you time to recharge. Because when you get back to the relationship, you pour out, you pour out. So you need to replenish some of that. So I believe it can work, but you, the couple, the individuals need to work at it as well. So it's, it's tricky, but it's possible. And that's why I want to point out to you guys that are listening out there, you know, if you have given up and you're like, well, I'm an empath, you know, it's not going to work. You hear it from the expert right here. It is possible. So don't give up hope. <laughs> um, now, the um, as far as like in, in your opinion, um, you know, you, you said that, you know, it, it can work based on the individual as long as they're willing to put in the work. Um, in your opinion, the people that you have helped or the clients that have gone the distance, let's say long term, you know, over five years, 10 years, what is the secret sauce? Like, how do they make that work? <laughs> You know, I get asked that question. What is the secret sauce to making any relationship work? And I, I, I try and run away from 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 addressing that that uh, that that question because that question sometimes tends to assume that somebody can tell you what will work in your relationship. 
And there's a danger in that because you and I have two belief systems. I am an Afro-Canadian, Raj, you're an American Canadian, uh, you, uh, you're Indian Canadian. From, you said you're from Pakistan or Indian? Um, so y- your parents, rather. Um, so you, you, your background and your belief system and everything that you espouse is two different things. So if I come in and say, this is the secret ingredient and you go and take it and let's say you take it to your spouse and your spouse is like, and spouse says, what are you doing? <laughs> so it can be a little bit tricky, but I go back to the idea of understanding expectations and belief systems. And when I talk about belief systems, for example, when you and I are talking right now, there's about three conversations that are happening. There's a conversation that's happening in my mind. We call it self-talk. There's a conversation that's happening in your mind. We call it self-talk. And then there's a conversation that's happening that the listeners are hearing right now. Now, the self-talk that I have in my mind is informed by my belief system, my age, gender, race, culture, uh, society, my family. All of that informs my belief system, which creates my self-talk, which gets reinforced. And more often, whatever is going on in my head is not entirely what is coming out of my mouth. So in my head, I might be asking, okay, uh, he's on, he's probably in EST time now. It's probably after 10 o'clock and it's after 8 o'clock my time. I wonder what he's doing. Hmm. So there's a lot of questions I have in mind. And you and yourself as well, you're asking yourself, I wonder where he is. The listeners that are listening to this, they're having self-talk, self-talk. So what I have come to understand with couples that helps couples to actually deal with drift, to actually deal with communication issues, to actually deal with um, sexual expectations and all these things, or even empath and uh, HSPs, to actually deal with some of these things, it is understanding each other on what you believe about certain things. So if you sit down in a couple and ask yourself, what do you believe about money? What do you believe about parenting? What do you believe about uh, leisure activities? What do you believe about communication? What do you believe about uh, uh, roles in a relationship? Once you put the beliefs on the table and the other person gets to see, oh, this is what you think about this. So the next time when you talk, they know from where you're coming from. It's no longer a shock or they're not getting on the defensive because now they're getting to try to understand you more. So the secret sauce or the secret ingredient, I think it's understanding each other's belief systems. Um, that, that, that gets you going somewhere because each family um, creates a normal. Uh, the way I grew up, I espouse that as the normal. My wife, the way she grew up, she espouses that as normal. Now think about it. Somebody is 27 years old and the other person is 32 years old. They get married. Those two people can't just change just like that. Or you start dating somebody, you're 22 years old and the other person is 25 years old. That person won't just change like that. The normal that they know is what they grew up with at home. So if you understand that normal, that belief system, then you can begin to relate with them, not from a superficial standpoint, but at a deeper level. That is very fascinating. I can tell <laughs> you're very good at what you do, um, Kingsley. Um, so I want to switch some gears here. Um so as you know, like I have um, some guests that's uh, been on my show, and this seems to be a very to- um, you know uh, popular subject. It's narcissism, and 
I don't know if you know where I'm going with this, but uh, a lot of my uh, listeners are, you know, with a narcissist or been with a narcissist or been abused by a narcissist in the past. In your opinion, um, why do we keep going back to somebody that abuses us? It's interesting. You, you, we, we're switching gears talking about this immediately after talking about uh, a family is normal. Um, and this sometimes gets tends to get tied in with the idea that we tend to date people that are like our parents or something like that. First, one thing we need to understand is that the brain is an interesting or fascinating organism or part of the body. What the brain does, if you think of a, take a crayon or a pencil and you just start scribbling back and forth, 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 that scribble that you create on that piece of paper is similar to what the brain does. The brain connects neurons that are continually repeated or that are continually experienced. And then once it creates those neuron connections or pathways, it begins to define that as something that is normal. And sometimes you might not realize it, but that's what you gravitate towards. They say that if you read research, I think it's between 80 to about 80 to 90% of the decisions that you make come from your subconscious mind. So the things that are stored at the back of your brain are really what make you decide what you're going to do next and how you're going to do it next. So when you talk about these relationships with uh, narcissists and people who have, been, who, have, who have been abused and all that stuff and why we keep getting back to some of these relationships, it's because our brain thinks that's normal. So in order to change that, the brain needs to be rewired. It needs to be changed all over again and, and kind of peel back that layer. And it can be done, um, but it takes some journey together with somebody who can help you out with that. And speaking of helping out, that's what you, that's what you're an expert in. And, that leads to my next question. Um, say I come to you and uh, I've been with uh, somebody that's been abusing me for decades. It doesn't matter if it's, you know, a family member or a spouse or even my past ex. So in your opinion, what would be like the first, uh, you know, thing that you would try to recommend for me or try to get me at least back on my feet? That, that we, we can put a name to that and call it trauma. Uh, I'm thinking that's what you have at the back of your mind. And really trauma, more often when people show up with uh, from traumatic experience, it's not an easy thing for them to actually go and seek out help. And the reason why is because when they go and seek out help, it means that they, they will need to talk about the things that hurt them. And nobody wants to talk about the things that are painful. Nobody wants to talk about the things that evoke certain emotions. I've had experiences where I sit with clients in a room and they lock up because it's difficult to even confront this thing. But there's a way of dealing with that. And one of the things that the techniques that you use in, in counseling or psychotherapy is um, just for the sake of our listeners to just to simplify it. It's called um, rewriting your narrative. Think of your life as a story. Um, so. However many years you have lived, you, you've been writing a story. 
And more often, some people that have gone through the abuse and all that stuff, they have had somebody edit and write their story on who they will be or how they will become. So when they, somebody comes in to speak with me, one of the first things that we will need to do is understand what the story is. And once we understand what the story is, we can then try and create a new narrative of what the ending is going to look like. More often, people that are abused or have gone through abuse, they tend to think that, you know, there's no hope. I mean, the, the sense of self-worth is low. They tend to think that they want to have a contribution. But we want to change that and say that they are the contribution. Not have a contribution. Be, you are the contribution. Once you begin to shift that mindset to say that not, I am the contribution, which means I am enough, which means I am worth something, it changes the ballgame altogether. Because if you say, I have a contribution, and sometimes you share your contribution, they laugh at you, or people don't pay attention to you, or you're sitting in a room of geniuses, we have grand ideas, and your contribution is not understood or accepted, your sense of self-worth uh, is reduced as well. It goes back to what was done to you. So understand that you are a contribution, not that you have a contribution. You are the contribution. So we speak to that sense of self-worth. And because you are the contribution, let's begin to change the narrative of your story. And one important thing on that is journaling. That's an excellent tool of journaling. Write down, journal. Every, every person, uh, I mean, the last couple guests I've had, also mentioned the same thing. Uh, I think I've mentioned that in a episode myself because it's actually saved my life. Um, and there's no joke about that. When I put pen to paper, there, some magic does happen. And at first I was like, nah, it happens to other people. There's some magic in there. And I can 110% tell you that that is, that is very powerful. Um, and, you know, everything that you're saying, it's very eloquent, like how you say it, you explain it. So regular people could understand. I love that. And that's, so, that's the hope. <laughs> and that's probably why you're so good at what you do. And, um, you know, and it just, it's, it just clicks and a light bulb went out in my head and I'm just like, okay, that's why that this happens. And so it's very well said. So, um, one of the things that I also get from, uh, my listeners is, you know, there's millions of people right now around the world that is, uh, you know, out of work. Um, they're either with somebody who they're, you know, uh, romantically, you know, in a relationship or they're single, but what is one to do in your opinion? I mean, how do, I mean, we can't just reach out on the internet and have relationships that way, or, I mean, what's the next step do you see in the future for, um, you know, relationships and dating and, and all of that, uh, especially with this pandemic? I, I think this pandemic um, has created, uh, in my opinion, um, new ways of thinking and approaching relationships. If you really think about it, in a space of about a week or less than a week, the way we know life to be and how life has been was changed. Before, there were people that wouldn't even sit on a Zoom call and talk and ha and do things. Um, before there was one way of doing, going into the office and some businesses would not even offer 
uh, certain things via Zoom or telecommunication or video conferencing. I was just fascinated by the fact that one bank here locally actually had um, bank visits where you can book an appointment and you'll get on a video call with your bank, with your branch uh, and you can actually do it from home. So I don't think that it's all doom and gloom within the context of relationship because we no longer can meet in person. I think it allows for people to reflect more before they take action. If you are one that likes to do online dating, it means that you will process a little bit more before you actually go on that meet. If you are one that tends to go out a lot and make to intend to make rash decisions, the pandemic has kind of slowed things down a little bit. So I don't think that it's a bad thing that we are in this pandemic. Um, but I do think that we need to take some time to learn more about ourselves. Um, pick a book if you, some people don't like reading, but they would listen to a podcast. So if you're a listener like this, continue to download uh, the On Call Empath podcast and listen. There's a wealth of information that's in, on these podcasts. Find another podcast. You can download my podcast, Relationship Factor. Um, so learn about yourself, grow, understand yourself so that when the time comes to get into your relationship, you understand your belief system, you know your triggers as an empath or HSP, you know what really gets to you. That way, when you get to that relationship, you can pour out and receive at the same time because your well has been filled up. Wow. That is so fascinating. I can talk to you forever on this subject because it's like, it's just stuff like, I mean, you can get that, but you have to go through life and have experiences and, um, you know, with time, you know, you, you get better just like any practice. Like, you know, sometimes you have to fall on your face and then get yourself up, dust yourself up. So all you guys that are listening out there that are stuck in the pandemic, I mean, you're hearing it from Kingsley. It isn't the end of the world. You still have a lot of hope. And uh, despite you, ha you know, being an empath or HSP, that can be a superpower. So it is not something that should hinder you. Even those in introverts out there that are listening, um, there is hope out there. Um, so Kingsley, I just want to ask you here, um, you know, you've done this for a long time, almost 10 years. Um and I'm sure you've heard all kinds of stories and you've helped many, many people. Um, what is like one thing, one piece of advice for somebody that's listening right now on this podcast when they get off this, this episode, what is one thing that they can use right away? I think one of the crucial things that um, empath and HSPs can use right away is deal is, is conflict. Um, empath and HSPs tend to approach conflict sometimes in unhealthy ways. In fact, they tend to avoid conflict because they don't want to get into that squabbles. Um, trauma tends to want you to avoid conflict or if you're getting into it, you're getting into it defensive with all both fists up to fight. So one thing that I teach uh, uh, my, my clients is, uh, is the 100% uh, principle. In every conflict, there's two sides. So if you and me, Raj, were in a conflict and my contribution to the conflict, let's just put a percentage to it, is 44%. Let's say 15%. And you, Raj, because you're the bad guy, you have 85% responsibility of the conflict. 
<laughs> so if I'm going to get into this conflict, I am responsible for 15% and I'm 100% responsible for that 15%. And you are 85% responsible and you are 100% responsible for your contribution. If you approach conflict that way, you don't have to wait for the other individual to come to you and say, I'm sorry. Because you are owning up to your part of the contract. Uh, conflict 100%. And the other individual is owning up 100% to their portion of the conflict. So I believe that when you approach conflict in the sense that, you know what, there's an argument here. It means that I contributed. Whatever I contributed, I'm going to own up 100%. And guess what? If I'm going to own up 100%, I'm going to say sorry. I'm going to seek to say, hey, how can we work this out? Um, and one way to phrase these words is not to start with, you did this. Start with the words, I feel like I was hurt. You're expressing your emotion. And sometimes we tend to think that being vulnerable is weakness, but being vulnerable is power. Because once you're vulnerable, the other person can see into the window of your heart and then relate and connect with you. So that's one thing I want to leave with anybody who's listening to you that when we deal with conflict, it doesn't spill over to all the other areas in our lives. And before we realize it, we have a comorbidity of issues where there's depression in there and there's anxiety in there and it gets all compounded. So that's, I think that's a tool that we can start using. Own up to your contribution 100%. Very well said, uh, Kingsley. Um, and I know I, I'm speaking from um, more listeners out there. I'm just reading off uh, something someone wrote me. Uh, there's a lot of people that are in loveless marriages, and, and I know that you also uh, have some experience in helping mar- married couples as well. Um, if you can really quick just kind of, you know, just give, give the listeners something uh, about how to keep the spark going, the fire going, uh, I know you'd already talked about going the distance, but it's everyday work, isn't it? It's it's like going cl- punching a clock and making it work on both sides to keep that fire running, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's 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 one of the things that I've seen when you say loveless marriages, and we we I call that drift, whereby um, a couple has been together five, seven, ten years, or even longer, and before we realize it they're not feeling each other anymore it's it's we call that drift and there's a couple of ways that you can deal with that and i'm not saying that all listeners are going through this but i see this a lot and one of the reasons why we see this a lot with marriages um and once drift begins to happen the communication gets messed up intimacy changes the frequency changes um a whole lot of things begin to happen in the relationship infidelity becomes an option, you get money fights a lot. And one way to do that is one where I've seen that when I deal with couples is that couples that go through that have stopped growing together. They've stopped growing together. It means that either one individual pursued growth on their own and they left the other behind and there is nothing to connect them together. Or they're both became so complacent and comfortable in their relationship that they stopped trying to look to the next level in their relationship. So couples can look to grow. It could be maybe just decide that this week or this month is communication month. 
We just want to learn how to communicate. Listen to podcasts that talk about communication. There's a whole lot of free resources that you can find online that talk about communication. You grow together. You grow together. Maybe the following month is finance month or money month where you learn how to do a budget together. You learn how to balance finances together. Um, um, you do things together. And maybe the next month is service month where you're helping other people. You're pouring into other people's lives, volunteering or doing all these community services projects. So you want to grow together as a couple because if one person is left behind, it causes drift. Or if both of you get complacent, it causes drift because there's nothing else to look forward to in the relationship. So you know what? I might as well just go out. I love that you say that. I mean, the other day I, I saw like a 70 and 80 year old couple holding hands. You know, they're, they're still doing date night. Uh, they're working out together. And I'm like, wow, that's crazy. Like, no wonder they've been together for so many years. So yeah. Yeah. that makes a lot of sense. So so you, you're saying that, you know, uh, as long as like you guys, to, you know, a couple, they don't have to be together 24 hours, but, you know, they still need to recharge. But we have to have something to look forward to every month, correct? Yeah, yeah. There, there has to be something that says, hey, we discovered this. We discovered this. That's why you'll get sometimes couples say that my wife or my husband is not ambitious or has no ambition. Because the other person is growing alone and they're feeling alone. And sometimes it could be simply that uh, um, you have a passion for something and your spouse is your number one supporter. They are always behind you, supporting you, giving you ideas or doing those things and all that stuff. I do speaking engagements and my best critique that gives me the best pointers is my wife. She'll tell me, okay, I love that story. Okay, so when you do this, do that. Uh, uh, you know, when you're walking on the stage, make sure you don't walk too fast. I tend to speak a little bit fast. So sometimes she'll tell me, slow down. And sometimes when I'm on stage, I tend to ask to think back. I'm like, okay, she said I should slow down. We're growing together. She's challenging me to grow. She has her own passions that I support her on as well. We're growing together. We're growing together. And more often you get these online where you get a 30-day couples challenge uh, where people want to hook you up to buy something else after that. We usually just take the, the challenge or the, not the ones where you post on social media, no, just in our home where they'll send you daily things where you work on this or you work on that. We take that and that keeps us growing. Yeah. And that was very well said. I mean, I know some people personally, they're like best friends. And that's how I like to look at relationships. You know, we have to be best friends. You may not like, you know, dancing or yoga like me or, you know, I have other, you know, hobbies. But I like the fact that you like to do X, Y, Z. So I put interest in things because, you know, it's interesting to you, you know. So it's give and take. In your opinion, like if, if someone's had like, you know, if somebody sits on the couch, like let's say, and watches football all weekend and the wife likes to go out and wants to get somebody to go dancing with them and they're both pulling on each other on both separate ends, at that point, do, I mean, who who's who has to like kind of say, okay, I'm going to do this for you if you do that, if you watch this for me. I mean, 
is it is that like a compromise that in that point or how do we how does a couple kind of compromise between both of those things you know it's interesting i hear that word compromise quite a lot and i'm not a fan of the word compromise because it it feels as if you really wanted to do something and you sacrificed and you really didn't want to do it and just because of them i i don't know raj i i, I mean I, i'll be honest i'm talking good. for myself cuz i mean i've been in a relationship <laughs> in the past and it's like hey i don't want to go to that restaurant come on i i hate you know pasta i don't eat carbs but honey you know i love going here so guess what and then you I go and then you know later on i'm like get you know i'm like i didn't really want to go so but you know what <laughs> once i started to learn and i'm like you know the fact that as long as blue is your favorite color, then I'm interested in the fact that you like blue. You know, so I've learned there to There you that. go. Yes. Um, right. I wasn't always like that. <laughs> and you realize that wasn't a compromise. It was actually appreciating how the other individual is different. In fact, going back to your question, using that same example where the other person's on the couch watching football the weekend or whatever that they're doing, going back to the principle that I say that, if everyone is 100% responsible for their actions, the responsibility is not on one person. The responsibility is on both. No one person in a relationship should carry all the weight. I mean, that's too much weight to carry on, on, on any one person. So if both of you get to a point where you realize, you know what, this is not working, maybe it'll click on one person first. And that's where they have to come back to the table and say, hey, you know what? Can we talk about this? I think we're going down a path where we are drifting. It could be maybe the other guy doesn't even see anything wrong or anything like that. And then you talk about your belief system. Maybe the guy believes that this is self-care. I just kick back at home and watch football the whole weekend. And that's their definition of self-care. And then you talk about that. Is that real self-care? How does it grow the relationship? So the responsibility is on both. And finally, I, I just want to save the best for last. I know I kept this subject, taboo subject, for the last part. So people uh, actually tune into this exact portion of the podcast. Talk about sex, jealousy, if you don't mind, and what, you, what you've uh, kind of figured out with relationship is, is obviously sex is a very uh, intimate part and important part. But sometimes if somebody's like not satisfied, they're going to go and find somebody else. Is that uh, what you tend to find out or what is your take on that? Yeah, yeah, that's what ten tends to happen. And more often, men and women are wired differently. The expectations are differently, and you'll notice that there's a reoccurring thread with what I what I'm what I'm talking about here. I like to speak in the, in in terms of principles because once I give principles, anyone can go and apply them in their relationship in different ways. Uh, one of the challenges that I see when you start talking about sex is the belief system behind sex or the expectations behind sex. And this is one phenomenon that you'll tend to find. When couples are dating, they will tend to have sex more often. Like it's, it's, it's often. And when they get married, life begins to happen. The mortgage, the kids, and all these things begin to happen. And you'll notice that there is a decrease. 
And one of the phenomena that causes that decrease to happen is because the couple stopped growing together. When you are a couple and you are dating, you experimental, you're always having sex, you're talking about it, you're engaging in it, you're going out for dates, you are hanging out with friends. There is a certain level of growth that keeps things exciting. But once you stop doing that together as a couple to grow, it changes the dynamics of the sex relationship. And sometimes people um, date people or get into a relationship with people, they fall in love with the idea of who they are, not genuinely who they are. So you get into a relationship, Raj, and you're thinking, okay, this woman is going to be like this. Um, she's going to love me like this. We'll have sex often. We'll go on dates. That's the idea of a person that you like. But then when you start getting to know them and the real them starts coming out, you know how it is when you start dating or get into a relationship, everybody puts their best foot forward. And it gets to a point whereby they relax. The real them comes out. And then that's when it's like, oh, this is what I got into. This is what I signed up for. And then they want out. And they lose the opportunity of growing together and finding out each other's belief system about love, about sex, about intimacy. You lose out on the opportunity of being much more intimate. So it's a common phenomenon. I see it, the expectations. And one deadly thing is uh, we can't, some people learn about sex before they actually engage in it from pornography. Now, let's be real. No couple can keep up with anything that they watch from pornography. I don't care who you are or how you've lived your life. It's impossible. And so people want to take some of those things. You know how on TV, uh, it's the quick kiss and now they're ripping each other's clothes and all of a sudden they want to tear each other down and, and you want to come and do that in your relationship. No, that's TV. <laughs> that's an expectation that you can't bring to the relationship. It doesn't happen like that. So we have these wrong ideas and expectations that we bring to the relationship and it kills intimacy. You know, they're stuck in maybe in a sexless marriage or, you know, they have uh, due to trauma, uh, they have been raped or um, they have sexual abuse of some sort. And so they can't really have sex uh, and their libido is, you know, is gone or in those in those uh, cases. Um, how do you make a, um, a relationship work if one one party is unable to, you know, give, you know, have sex due to maybe trauma or depression or anxiety, especially right now with the pandemic. I mean, I've, I've had a lot of conversations with uh, a lot of listeners that have uh, reached out to me and they tell me like, well, you know, my significant others looking on, you know, Instagram on these models, but he doesn't find me attractive. He's telling me to get plastic surgery and I don't want to do that. So there's this expectations, just like you said, you know, and we're always trying to chase, you know, the big and beautiful I and mean, even pornography, you know, like a lot of people, they'll rather look at that than their own, you know, own uh, partner in your in your expertise. Like, uh, what do you have to say about all that? I mean, uh, when you can't even have uh, sex with your, with your loved one. I, I think um, in two words, uh, Raj. 
get help, get counseling. Um, because trauma is not something that you can just easily work out on your own. And not only is there trauma with the individual, there's something that we call secondary trauma. When a couple is in a relationship, when somebody's in a relationship with somebody who went through trauma, their experiences, their shared experiences living together, there's something that we call secondary trauma. And that secondary trauma further, uh, uh, further heightens or the problems in the relationship. So I, I would emphasize, get help. Um, one way to get help, find a counselor uh, or look for groups online, even just face, Facebook groups that, that talk about some of these things can be a starting point for you to get some help because trauma, if it is not addressed, it does not get better. It gets worse. And there is some research, uh, concrete research out there that emphasize and highlights that individuals that have mental health, trauma, enjoy, have less relationship um, satisfaction because of all the issues that are happening in the relationship. It does not mean that they cannot enjoy or have higher satisfaction in a relationship. No, it means that they have low levels of satisfaction because of the things that they're going through that have not been addressed. So if you're in a relationship and you're experiencing low levels of, uh, of sexual satisfaction, getting out of the relationship won't help the relationship. Because when you see it again in the next relationship, you'll move on to the next. And you'll keep on moving on to the next. And before you realize it, you have scars. It's something I call emotional baggage, whereby you kept on carrying it on to the next, to the next, to the next. So get help. Um, talk to somebody. Um, engage in a professional, somebody who can walk with you and teach you so that you can get out of that. I mean, sex is meant to be enjoyed in a relationship, especially if you're married and you're going to be married for like that couple you're mentioning in their 70s, holding hands and dating. Can you imagine being married for 10, five years in a sexless marriage, let alone even five months to a year? That's difficult. So it's crucial. Get help. Speak to somebody who can talk to you about these things. And there's no shame in this. By the way, um, there's no shame in this. More and more couples are going through the same thing. So you are not alone to our listeners that are out there. You are not alone. Um, and sometimes if you're an empath, you might feel as if you have to sacrifice yourself in order to give in because you're struggling. And yet you are not even enjoying it when you're doing it. Get help. Talk with somebody. It can get better. I love that, man. You're positive. You're good at what you do. You have a book, a podcast. You've been practicing. I mean, you've been doing this for 10 years. I mean, this is the longest uh, podcast that I've had out of all my episodes, and there's a reason for that. And I hope you come back and do a part two, and we can talk more. I can talk all day about this subject. Um, I, I just thank you for coming on on this podcast. Before we leave, um, can you just please tell my listeners where we can find you and your book and all of that good stuff? Yeah, um, my website, relationshipfactor.org, um, is where you can connect with me. Uh, you can find more information about me. In fact, on my website, there you can actually get a, 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 a quiz that will tell you a relationship style. So get a chance, go to my website, relationshipfactor.org. 
you can find me on Instagram as well. I hang out on Instagram a lot and the handle is relationship factor. You'll find me, just follow me there. I run a group as well uh, on Facebook. Uh, it's a private group where I talk about relationships. Again, it's called relationship factor. Uh, and then I have a page as well. It's called relationship factor. So you kind of see the trend here, Raj. If you go on Instagram, you'll find me as relationship factor. If you go on Facebook, you'll find me with the page relationship factor and uh, private group relationship factor. So yeah, for um, find me there. And if you get a chance, listen to my podcast as well. My podcast is geared to millennials. Uh, we talk about all things relationships. If it's called Relationship Factor. You can get it there. Um, and you can join with me along there. You guys go check him out. He's a real deal. Um, this, ep- this episode is actually not going to have a number to it. I'm going to actually make this a bonus episode because of all the wealth and knowledge that you've dropped in the last hour or so. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and uh, make this a bonus episode. Uh, thanks again, Kingsley. You know, I hope you, you can come back anytime. You're always welcome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, Raj, you know what? Let's, let's throw in a bonus because uh, it's the longest podcast. For anyone who has listened up until this hour, I believe we're close to 50 minutes now. If you listen to this podcast from the day that it airs, you have seven days. If you reach out to me, I will give you one 50-minute session, uh, one-on-one with me value $240 for free just to get you out of that 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 rut that you're stuck in let's call it a first aid relationship checkup so if there's something that you're struggling with and you're like hey you know what uh, let me get some tips and pointers on that um so i'll give you one uh 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 um, consultation or relationship first aid relationship check with me so make sure when you listen to this podcast within 7 days from the day it drops reach out to me. Uh, just go to my website and just send me an email or message and say, hey, I listened to you on the On-Call, On-Call Empath uh, podcast. Um, can I connect with you for my free session? You heard it here on the On-Call Empath. Thanks again, Kingsley, for being on the show. That does it for this episode. If you can please go to I, uh, Apple iTunes, drop a quick review that helps me bring on more guests like Kingsley on here. I hope you guys are enjoying these uh, episodes. This has definitely been very informational and very helpful. So thanks again, Kingsley. And uh, we are out. You're listening to the On Call Impact.